Well, we are not so far removed from COVID that we forget the threat of death that it actually brought. I can remember how sobering it really was to see the entire world living in fear of sickness and death. In fact, the the world shut down for a long season, which really did bring devastating consequences. Uh, for a year now, we've watched a terrible war in Ukraine. Um, death and destruction uh, have filled Ukraine. Most tragically, we have watched civilians die as their houses and apartments and markets and churches are bombed again and again. Uh, Recently, we have been reminded how frail we are as human beings as we have watched and heard of the tornadoes that have ripped through sleeping communities in the South and in the Midwest. My, My hunch is I'm not alone in being saddened by the ongoing and even rapid decline of our culture. Uh, We see so much corruption in government and even in churches. We see so much disrespect and even hatred against people with differing views. We, We see God's good plan for marriage and sex and gender under attack. We see people made in the image of God killed in their mother's wombs, in homes, in nursing homes, and on the streets. Certainly, it grieves my heart to see the crime rate go up and up throughout our country, in particular the recent murders in Nashville, and even last night, yesterday afternoon in Cameron, Uh, Wisconsin, where many people uh, have, have died. All of those things, and there's many situations that I think nearly all people recognize that there really is a serious problem. But, but the key question is this, what is the problem? What drives all of this bad behavior? What is big enough and deep enough and bad enough to fuel the catalog of all of these problems that we see in our lives and in the world today? Well, I want you to know that the Bible could not be more clear. When God created Adam and Eve, the very first human beings, when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he declared them to be very good. Life was good. But Adam chose to rebel against God, and his sin brought guilt and corruption and death to the entire human race, because we have all come from Adam. He represented the entire human race. God had, in fact, told Adam that if he disobeyed and went his own way rather than God's way, he would die. And then the serpent who was there, the devil himself, 
responded to Adam, said, you, you will surely not die. But Adam did, in fact, die as a consequence of his sin. And since Adam's sin and death, the entire human race has been held captive to sin and death. There is no other event that has had such widespread negative impact on the world as Adam's sin against God. Since Adam, death and sin are so much a part of our experience today that we tend to think it's normal. It's hard to think of life without death and sin. Worse yet, too often, sin and death, even death, are preferred to the ways of God. But God has spoken. God has promised a remedy for sin. God has, in fact, intervened. God has given a remedy for sin. And that remedy is Jesus. That The remedy for sin is found in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate every Sunday, but especially at Easter. For you see, Ever since Adam's sin, sin and death enslaved the entire human race. Death was the just consequence of sin. But God the Father sent His very own Son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place as our substitute. And His death was not for His sin because He knew no sin. Instead, His death was for our sin. Jesus' death satisfied the justice of God, and Jesus' resurrection demonstrated that God the Father accepted Jesus' death in our place. And so today, the Bible says, all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. They, they will be set free from guilt the guilt and power of sin and death. For those who are born again by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and who have, in fact, repented of their own sin against God, trusting in Jesus alone for their salvation, the, the sweet benefits of that sin remedy, remedy have begun. But more than that, we know that the best is still yet to come, <laughs> the, the gospel or the, the good news for the world today in a nutshell is this, and I quote, Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to many before ascending to heaven to take his seat at the Father's right hand. And before he ascended to heaven, he promised that he would, in fact, come again. The Bible speaks clearly of many eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. Uh, history itself provides strong arguments for the historicity of Jesus' death and resurrection. But some still doubt the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're here this morning, you have questions or doubts about the resurrection of Jesus, I encourage you to read 
and reflect on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the entire chapter. We're going to look at just a portion of that to this morning. Here, here you will find answers to many of the objections that people have to the resurrection. But also, I encourage you to read the end of Luke's gospel and the end of John's gospel. Um, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, doubted that Jesus was raised from the dead. But Jesus responded to him with mercy and grace and helped him believe. But for this morning, uh, convinced by the veracity of what the Bible asserts clearly about the resurrection of Jesus, I I want to spend the remainder of our time looking at the final nine verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here we are taught how the resurrection of Jesus gives a sure and certain hope that death will be swallowed up in victory. If you recognize, if you recognize how widespread sin and death are in the world today, this ought to be viewed as really good news. There, there are four primary truths I want you to see here in verses 50 through 58 of chapter 15. The first, the first is really the bad news. It's the most sobering. It's this, that Outside of Christ, apart from Christ, death reigns. In fact, you are doomed without Christ, for the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. Verse 50 begins by saying, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now, The Apostle Paul is writing to those who believe the gospel. He's writing to his brothers and sisters. He's writing them because he wants them to keep believing. Um, he, He wants them to be fully convinced that it is the death and resurrection of Jesus that gives them a sure and certain hope, both for this life and for the life to come. And he does that by reminding them that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now, when Paul talks about flesh and blood here, he's making a reference to our limitation, our weakness, our corruption, and and even physical death that we experience in this lifetime because of sin. It it describes humanity in this world, outside of or apart from Christ. Paul Paul also says the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. In other words, that which is dying and dead because of sin cannot live in eternity. Flesh and blood represent what is perishable or what is dying, And what is perishable or dying cannot inherit what is imperishable or that which never dies. This really presents a quite serious problem, doesn't it? For the person who is in Adam, 
when we say when we say that we're referring to the person who is still enslaved to their sin and unbelief as a corrupt nature who lives with the guilt of their sin and who is in fact spiritually dead because of sin. For this, for this person who is in Adam, there is no hope for eternal life with God because the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable or that which is dying cannot inherit that which never dies. And, and certainly, how can someone infected by death live where there is no death? <laughs> that is why we have said, outside of Christ, death reigns. You are doomed without Christ, for the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. Now, earlier in chapter 15, Paul answers those who want to believe that there is a resurrection, but they can't fathom what kind of body a resurrected person will in fact have. And if that which is dying can't inherit that which never dies, what, what kind of resurrected body will that person have? And, it, and it's almost like when they ask this question, they're saying, if, if I can't understand it, then the resurrection must not be true. But listen to what Paul says to them in verses 35 through 49. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So that's their question. Here, here's Paul's response. Verse 36, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory for the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, notice in 
Notice that Paul's answer, in Paul's answer, he states that we, we know from our earthly experience there are different kinds of bodies. There's humans, there's animals, there's birds, there's fish. Uh, all have bodies, but they're all different bodies. Um, we're all, we also know that a seed is connected to a plant. E- even though the plant looks very different than the seed. Uh, the sun is one type of glory, the moon another, and the stars another. So too, an earthly body is very different than a heavenly body. For the believer, our heavenly body will resemble the resurrected Christ. But here, here's the key. This is the point. A, a transformation is needed for that to happen. So, something radical must take place because the perishable, that which is dying, cannot inherit that which is imperishable, that which never dies. Certainly left to ourselves, that needed transformation would never take place. Our flesh and our blood would never live with God in eternity without a transformation taking place. So, who who will do that? Um, And when will that transformation take place? And, And who will be transformed? The answer is found in verses 51 through 54 of 1 Corinthians 15. Here we learn that in Christ, hope lives. So be of good cheer. When Christ comes again, if you are in Christ, there is great hope, or you will be transformed. Verse verse 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, or we shall all be transformed. Paul begins by saying, behold. In other words, this is really important. Don't miss this. I tell you a mystery. And when Paul uses that language, it's not like a mystery is something that's hard to figure out. It's not that you have to be really clever and smart to figure out. Rather, this mystery is something that wasn't revealed before, but now God has revealed it to Paul God God revealed this mystery to Paul, and now he is teaching you through the Word. What is that mystery that he speaks of that's now revealed? The end of verse 51 through 53 say this, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body shall put on immortality. Now, the sounding of the trumpet that's spoken of here in this verse is referring to the announcement of Jesus when he comes again. The the second coming of of Jesus will be announced for all to, to see and hear. There is a day coming, there is a day coming when Jesus will return, bringing judgment for all those who have rejected the gospel, but full salvation to those who live by faith in Jesus. It is when Jesus returns that those who are in Christ shall be changed. This is when the perishable 
will be transformed into the imperishable. Our earthly bodies will be transformed into heavenly bodies. Now, everybody wants to know what those bodies will really be like. And um, I don't know completely what that's going to be like. There's a lot that hasn't been revealed. There's still a mystery that we look forward to being revealed. But this is what I do know, that they will be like, those resurrected bodies will be like the resurrected body of Jesus. They will never die. There, there will be no sickness or disease. They won't be racked with pain. There will be no tears. They won't grow old or wear out. There, there will be no sin. Praise God. Jesus will do that work of transformation when He comes again. My oldest sister has lived with some serious uh, health issues for many years now. Um, she is, in fact, a very patient woman. She never complains when I think she has every reason, humanly speaking, to complain. She, she has endured a lot of pain. Um, she's a lot like her father was, in fact. But over these last number of months, the amount of pain she endures has increased. Um, there, she talks about there was a day when she could find some relief for, uh, from, from the pain, but that doesn't happen anymore. Her, her, her pain is uh, severe and her pain is relentless. Um, it, it doesn't let up. Now, she keeps trusting Jesus and praise, praise God. Um, most importantly, there is a time coming when she will not experience any more pain ever again. Uh, the perishable will put on the imperishable. That which is dying will put on that which will never die. Verse 51 says, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So sleep here is a euphemism for death. Uh, Paul's saying, even believers who are still living on this earth, when Jesus returns, they too will be changed. Uh, what is true of those who have already died is equally true of the living. And this transformation will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, just like that. Boom. It'll happen. The perishable will be put off and the imperishable will be, will be put on. That is what will happen for believers who are still alive when Jesus comes again. Now, what, what about believers who have already died? Um, this past Wednesday um, marked the one-year anniversary of my father's death. So about a year ago, uh, we placed his earthly body into the grave. Um, we, we also believe, as Philippians 1 teaches, that the, the very moment Dad died, his soul, his immaterial being, was immediately in the presence of the Lord. We, we have that hope because he was trusting in the shed blood of the resurrected G Jesus to wash away his sin. 
so it was at 12.15 p.m. on April the 5th, 2022, that dad was absent from the body, but present with the Lord. Praise God for that. Um, he, he is consciously enjoying the very presence and company of Jesus, even now. Even now. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 also teaches us that when Jesus comes again, Dad's earthly body will become a heavenly body in a, in a moment's time, in the twinkling of an eye, and his immaterial being will be gloriously reunited with his heavenly, his new heavenly body, and he will then dwell bodily in the presence of Jesus forever. Again, we have this hope, we have this sure and certain hope because Jesus has already been raised from the dead, never to die again. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 15 says this, But each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Jesus. So, praise God. In Christ, death is defeated. When, when Christ comes again, you will be changed. Then it will be said, death is swallowed up in victory. Listen as I read verses 54 through 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. (laughs) Praise God. At that very moment, when Jesus comes again, And when what is perishable will be transformed into what is imperishable, death will be no more. Why? Because Jesus conquered death. Think about that. All we know today is death. As believers, we don't need to fear physical death because the resurrected Christ has given us hope. It's real. But Physical death still happens. Death pounds away relentlessly on all people today. But when Jesus comes again, death will be swallowed up in victory. Praise God. The the saying continues, Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. In other words, Death came because of sin, and sin is known as sin against God because of the law. But listen to the end of verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. This is really good news. It's good news for those who are in Christ. We we look forward to death being swallowed up In victory, one day death will be no more. We will live forever with glorified bodies in the presence of Jesus. And so, verse 58 says to you, therefore, keep believing. Keep believing the risen Lord. Living today as a disciple and as a disciple maker of Christ is not in vain. Verse 58 actually says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor 
is not in vain. So, so notice that Paul encourages and exhorts his beloved brothers. He, he's writing to his fellow brothers and sisters whom he loves and who are dearly loved by Jesus. But he still sees the need to appeal to them to be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why is that? Well, let me ask you this. A couple of questions. Do you ever lose sight of the hope of the Gospel? Is, is Jesus always your first love? Do, do you ever get wrapped up in the here and now so much so that you forget what you really had to look forward to when Jesus comes again? Does, does life as a Christian ever get hard? Do you, do you ever get discouraged? Do, do you ever face oppositions and difficulties? That, that is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to be in the habit of being together for fellowship and worship on a regular basis. We need constant reminders that our hope, our hope is not tied to who the President of the United States is at the moment. Our hope does not come from which political party has power in Congress at the moment. Our hope does not depend upon a strong and growing economy. Our hope is not even dependent on living a healthy and trouble-free life. Our hope is tied to the resurrected Christ who conquered sin and death. Jesus died. He willingly endured the cross. He did that for the joy set before Him. He did that so that your sin could be forgiven. Jesus was buried, but on the third day He was raised from the dead and He did that so that you could begin to live a new life for His glory today. And Jesus' resurrection is the reason that you have the sure and certain hope of a glorified body which will live in His presence forever when Jesus comes again. But you must believe the Gospel. And you must keep believing the Gospel. So what is the Gospel? I read it as we began the our time together today, let me read it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1-4 tells us, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's good news. Gospel means good news. Our sin offends God. Our sin means that we deserve death and judgment, separation from God. But listen to John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. That's good news. In fact, there's not better news than that. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe that he was buried and was raised again so that you could be forgiven and have the promise of eternal life? Do you believe the good news of Jesus? Will you keep believing? Will you continue to believe? For the one who believes, for the one who believes the gospel and the one who continues to believe the gospel, there is a sure and certain hope that a day is coming when death will be swallowed up in victory by our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope you're here today believing. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing truth, what an amazing story that you have told, that you have brought into reality, that you have revealed to us through your word, that in your great love for us, you sent Jesus. You sent Jesus to the cross. You sent him there to die in our place, to take upon himself the, the, the payment for our sin, to set us free from the power of sin, the guilt of sin, to set us free from the consequence of sin, which is death and to give us the promise of eternal life. Thank you, Father, for that, that work that can be ours simply by believing, not by, not by us trying our best or doing better, but just admitting that what we do isn't good enough, but what Jesus did once and for all is good enough. It's sufficient to wash away the guilt of our sin. There's, there's hope there's hope that you hold out for us because of Jesus. And today we just want to thank you. We thank you for that wonderful good news of Jesus. Thank you that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead, and that um, you, you hold out a promise that when Jesus comes again, death,